0: Well, good evening to you all. It's great to be here this evening. Thank you very much for uh, coming along to sing God's praises and to read and listen to His Word. Now, we've got a rather long section for us tonight, so we're not going to read all the verses at the start. In fact, we're not going to read all the verses anyway. But we'll just read a selection of God's Word at this present time. So let's read uh, from Exodus chapter 5, and starting at verse 1, read a little bit out of each chapter. So Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the number of bricks that they have made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labour at it and pay no regard to lying words. Now let's move on into chapter 6 and in verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Let's move then, if we can, to chapter 7. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now, Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Amen. It's a recurring theme uh, through the scriptures, isn't it? That God chooses to accomplish his purposes by using weak people. By using weak people. We see that in First Corinthians. Um, there in First Corinthians chapter 1. Where Paul writes to the Corinthians but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. As we trace through scripture we could see many incidents of that couldn't we? We could think of Gideon. You know chosen to be a judge a deliverer of his people. But he protested a lot. Judges 6.15 Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. That was Gideon, but God laid his hand upon him, and God empowered him to be a great deliverer of his people. And we see as we go through Exodus that he will work through Moses. A man who tried, as we thought already, many excuses to avoid the ministry given to him. A man who we're going to see tonight and a pe- who represents a people of God who will face increased persecution, who will receive great promises in amidst that persecution to comfort and cheer them on the way and then are empowered as we'll see in chapter 7 so if you like an outline that is our outline tonight if you don't like an outline then you don't need to look at the board um so there's the way we're going to wander uh tonight well hopefully not wander a bit more um, um intentional than wandering anyway through the scriptures but we'll see that how god does indeed bring increased persecution 4 the people. He's promised to deliver them, but that's not going to happen straight away. Amidst all that, there are the great promises as we'll think, to comfort and cheer God's people, and finally, there is the power given to them. And I hope you can see already that these lessons as that will come to us not to just show us what happened to a people of old some thousands of years ago, but these things are true now. The promises given to the people then are different the promises given to us, but nevertheless we live uh, in a a world that isn't so different in many ways to Egypt Um, and there can be persecution opposition to God's people. We have promises to comfort and cheer us on the way, to strengthen us and God promises to empower us. So let us think about these things, what happened to them for our instruction, and to learn from them for our encouragement and our walk with the Lord. We ended chapter 4 last week uh, with these words. They're they're very interesting when you think what is going to happen through tonight's passage. Exodus chapter 4, verse 30 to 31 Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshipped. That was where we ended last week. So the people here... That God has visited His people. They have said that they believe and they worship God, and so we'll remember that as we go in. The first little section, then, uh, chapter five is, and into chapter one, or verse one of chapter six, is this: the, the persecution. Moses and Aaron enter the Egyptian palace and go before Pharaoh. It's 40 years since Moses has been in the palace. He fled from there before. But this time he goes with a clear message given to him by God. And he will require faith. He will require boldness. He will require courage to do that. And we've read that, haven't we? He goes and we have a summary of that clear message. Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. First thing we notice is this, these people, these Hebrews, are not the people of Pharaoh. They are God's people. Pharaoh might well have looked on them as his possession, but they are not his possession. They are truly God's People, the people are mine. God is saying, "You must let them go. They have been created and chosen that they may serve me." So, ever the thoughts were of Pharaoh, who many would see as the most powerful man in the world at that time. There is one far greater in him. He says, "These are my people. You are demeaning." And secondly, we know as well that the Lord God desires His people to bring acceptable worship to Him. They couldn't do that in Egypt. They must. Go out of Egypt to do that. But we know, don't we, the hardness of the heart of Pharaoh. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know him and moreover I will not Israel go. He refuses to acknowledge the one true God. I have no relationship with him and I refuse to to obey him put himself straight in opposition to Moses who is the representative of God and speaking this clear message and we see that we see quite clearly Pharaoh's hardness there I don't know him I don't recognize him but the proclamation then does that result in immediate deliverance because God has said he's going to deliver his people that's been told to Moses already. He will deliver them, and Moses went before Pharaoh and gave it. So, if we're new to this, we might think, "Well, God delivered them; they walked out of Egypt that day, or close to it, but not so." No, the proclamation results not in immediate deliverance, but more persecution. Results in more persecution. Has God forgotten His promise to deliver? The answer is no, of course, you know that. But he will deliver in his time and in his way in accordance with his perfect wisdom. You know, his delays aren't because he is forgotten. And this opposition, what is going to come, is not because God has forsaken his people. It seems very clear, doesn't it, as we look at verse 4 in chapter 5 there, that Pharaoh knew... Pharaoh knew that Moses and Aaron had spoken to the Hebrews and given them a word of comfort, a word of encouragement, that God had spoken to them, and this is the message. When we read verse 4, it seems to me that, you know, king, the king of Egypt says, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? You've done this. And it seems as though the people had been given a message of hope and a message of encouragement, And what is Pharaoh going to do? What is the one who is opposed to God going to do? He wants immediately to quash their hope and increase their burden. To quash their hope and to increase their burden. truly, that's a demonic desire. To quash the hope of God's people and to increase the opposition that comes upon them. And that is all what Pharaoh, that's the root of it. Someone who really pictures the evil one and his work upon this earth. To oppose God and to oppose his people. And so we see, how's the, how's the persecution increase? Well, the persecution comes like this. No straw is going to be given for the brick making. Apparently they were making bricks and the, the straw was supplied to them. Well, from now on, that's not, straw is not going to be supplied. You're going to have to go and get it yourselves. And by the way, you're going to have to make the same number of bricks each day, each week, each year. And so it, it's summarized in verse 9 there. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it. And pay no regard, and look at this phrase at the end, as it is in the ESV, to lying words. To lying words. You know, if Moses has brought a word of truth. And he has brought a word of truth to the people of God, he has brought a word of truth to Pharaoh. But the total opposition to that is it is seen as a total lie and a fabrication and surely we see here the battle, in that sense, that goes on in this world today. The battle that goes on in this world today. that There is a truth. There is the truth that comes from God. And we have the truth in his word. But it is opposed. And it is seen as a lie and a fabrication and a fable. And it's interesting, as we'll see, when the, when the word is proclaimed and it is resisted, then the persecution, the opposition, increases. You know, Pharaoh has refused to receive it as a message from God. Of course, the events that follow through, as we'll see in weeks to come in the laws, will show the folly of such rejection of a message of God. But the price for that clear and direct proclamation that Moses went, or oh Aaron. And Moses went before Pharaoh was increased persecution for a time. For a time. And we remember, don't we, that that's often the case. That is often the case. We could go to the book of Acts, couldn't we? Many examples there. Peter and John go and they speak to the people. Around in the temple courts. And what happens? Well, the priests and the captain of the temple the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead and they were arrested. You know, if we want to avoid opposition and persecution, then don't proclaim God's word. But we don't we're not called for that. We are called to proclaim God's word. And we really then shouldn't be surprised when opposition comes to God's word. When the complete whole counsel of God is declared. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be surprised at that. The church is called to display and uphold God's word. That is our function in society a function in this world. Paul wrote to Timothy that the church is to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth. So we must proclaim it and we must show its power for holy living. We can't dilute it, distort it or disguise it. There will be certain truths that the world finds palatable but we're, declared, we're told to proclaim the whole of God's word. And when we do that It seems to be, undoubtedly, that opposition will come in some form, wherever you do that. At work, school, university, the community. We shouldn't be surprised. But it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. History shows us that. In fact, we would cause to question if we as individuals or an assembly of God's people never face any opposition or persecution whatsoever, we might like to think, are we really proclaiming, as we should, the whole counsel of God? And so it comes to the people of God here, this increased opposition. And we see in verse 14, the foreman of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters set them, they were beaten and they were asked why have you not done all of your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past well the answer is really quite obvious because you're not giving us the same supplies but that's the irrationality of persecution and it's interesting isn't it look at verse 15 so the foremen are beaten and what do they do they cried to Pharaoh what should they have done well that might be something you could do second third or fourth perhaps but firstly surely it's a cry to the lord is it not that's what we see in exodus chapter 2 verse 23 you know during the days the people of israel cried because of their slavery and they cried out for help well who did they cry to they cried to god They cried to God for their rescue from slavery. And God heard their cries. But friends, isn't it sometimes the case for us that we are just like that? In times of difficulty or times of concern about things is God our first recourse? Is it whom we speak to? Or is he the last one we turn to? The challenge is there, isn't it, for us all? the challenge is there we look for solutions elsewhere now there's nothing wrong in them speaking to pharaoh i guess but that's certainly not where they should gone to first our first call, of call if you don't mind me using that expression should be to the lord to speak to him and have a confidence they he will hear and in his time he will answer and of course when god hears our prayers it doesn't mean sometimes that the the situation changes but our outlook on it changes as well he he, he He guides our hearts and our minds to think correctly. You know, prayer doesn't change him, it changes us. And we speak to him in prayer. But they cry out to Pharaoh first of all. And then, of course, they go into Pharaoh. And then they come out from Pharaoh. And what we see is they came out from Pharaoh. Look at verse 20 to 21, if you can. And they see Moses and Aaron. And what do they do? Blame them. The Lord look on you and judge you because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. You see what they've done there? They They are blaming Moses and Aaron, their leaders who had proclaimed the word of God. Pharaoh was the one who had brought him into slavery and was treating him cruelly under his orders. But who are they going to blame? Well, they're going to blame their leaders. They're going to blame their leaders, you know. And for all that sort of Moses and the people of God suffered, you know, this undue criticism, this verbal persecution, this verbal opposition, comes from those who are meant to be on their side. And I'd perhaps suggest that is harder for people to endure than that which comes from outside. The opposition from the inside, it shouldn't be there. The opposition from the outside is to be expected, anticipated, surprised almost if it doesn't come. But when it comes from those whom you are leading, or, or whoever it might be, then that is a tough one to take. You know, we see, we'll we'll see, you'll see that Moses experiences a lot a lot. Moses experiences a lot The people complain against their leadership. Because times are hard. And times don't go as they think they should do. Now, sadly, as we close in verse in chapter five, Moses does speak with really what's called irreverent words to to the Lord. You know, the times were hard persecution had come from without and within and Moses you know he too he's not perfect he needs to be reminded you know wait for the Lord as the Psalm 27 says be strong and let your heart take courage wait for him in his time in his ways with his wisdom he will not forsake his people he will accomplish that which he has promised to do but his delays don't mean he's forgotten any of his people. But what we see, God in his abundant grace, as we close this little section there, speaks in abundant grace and mercy to Moses in verse 1 of chapter 6. You will see what I shall do, for with a strong hand, Pharaoh, he will drive them out, and with a strong hand, he will drive them out Of his land. And so Moses is given that word. And as we go into our next section, we see that God gives great promises to his people. God gives great promises to His people. Some of the promises we'll see are true for us today, and some are uh, in some ways like that as well. We always need to discern in Scripture to be careful. You know, every promise in the Bible is not for us. Okay, every private promise in the Bible is not for us. We need to understand who it's to, and then how it is applied to us. I, I don't know if i told you this one before, but I remember going around the doors once here and a lady on the door, she oh, just got to, I can't remember how we got into this, but she said, Oh, I think every promise in the Bible is for me. I, I said, Do you now? And I said, Well, God said to Sarah, this time next year you'll have a child. She said, oh, That's probably not for me. So <laughs> she laughed and realised, Yeah, that's true, not every promise is. But two things we're going to illustrate in this section. I'd like you to notice. First first thing is this. That God's covenant name. Jehovah Yahweh. Is brought before Moses. God speaks to Moses and says, "I am the Lord." And the name there he uses, as you might know, is the name often translated Yahweh or Jehovah, and is the title associated uh, with his people with this covenant relationship. Sometimes we see the word God, and that's Elohim, it speaks to him of the Creator and the Governor of all creation. But here it is this particular name, Yahweh. In one of the sort of newer translations, the Legacy Standard Bible uses that very word. So it would read like this. Verse 2 God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh, and I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name Yahweh, I was not known to them. Now, just get a little bit technical, possibly here, right? But I want you to follow me in my study. (laughs) Because I read that. And I thought, am I not reading my Bible correctly? Because I'm really confident that that name was given to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. You know, the name Yahweh, Jehovah, was given to them. And uh, thankfully, I realised quite quickly, I hadn't lost my mind that it was. uh, okay. so I know my memory's slipping sometimes as you get older, but it's not that bad yet. (laughs) And that had been given. And then I read here that God says, I did not make myself known to them by that name. So what's he saying then? What's he saying? So as I read my Bible, as I'm sure you do, and you're, you're piqued, don't you, your curiosity. Well, so I struggled and struggled, and then I thought, I'll see what Mr. A.W. Pink says, and he gave it the answer, so there we go. What I'm going to share to you, I'm indebted to him. And he, he writes this, as we said, God had entered into a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But as Hebrews 11.13 tells us, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. So we understand that. But now the time had come when the Lord would fulfil his covenant promises, and Israel would witness his faithfulness, the power and the deliverance which his covenant name implied. God was about to reveal himself as the faithful keeper of his word, And as such, the descendants of the patriarchs, the descendants of the patriarchs, so those in Egypt, Moses, would know him in a way their fathers had not. So if you like, it's a relation, a fuller understanding of that, that the promises God had given to them, they didn't see them, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, but now Moses and those from him would see them. And that sort of satisfied me. I hope it satisfies you. If not, you can tell me afterwards. So, that's one thing that God reassures Moses with. But then, in verses 6 through to 8, we have seven unconditional promises. That God, who is faithful and trustworthy, who will always keep his promises, gives to the people. So let me bring them before you here. Number one, I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. The yoke that had been placed upon them as slaves in Egypt will be removed. They will be removed out of that burden that is upon them. I will deliver you, number two, from slavery to them. There will be a complete separation... From the condition that they are in, and had experienced, and many of them experienced it. But all, well, all of them had experienced that all their lives. That's all they had known. That's all they'd known all their lives: slavery in Egypt. And God says, "I will rescue you from that." Number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment i will redeem you the idea of purchasing you with that outstretched arm i will come and do that i will take you number four to be my people they would be a nation called out by god a people particular for him not the biggest nation in the world not the first nation in the world but as deuteronomy says that they were his firstborn people beloved of god You will be my people. Fifthly, I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. You shall know. There's that relationship in view there, you see. It's not just an intellectual thing. There's that relationship that they are going to be able to enjoy with God. Number six, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. That is a, something that God had repeated all the time. You remember when it was first given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, wasn't it? Uh, there he was, a sojourner in a land. He had no property, and God says, I will make you a great nation. I'll make you a great nation. At the time, he didn't even have a son. He didn't have a son. Let alone a family, let alone a nation, and through you, as we see later on in, in that promises, there will be blessing for the world. Marvellous promises given to Abraham on that day, and God says, those things which I gave to Abraham, you will now experience and you will see that Land given to you. I will give it to you, number seven, for a possession. Okay, so seven unconditional promises that God gives to them there. And they would experience uh, them. I, I think there's something out there experience them some of those in their fullness in a later time uh, as well you know they did have those land blessings but I think in the millennium uh, the thousand year reign of Christ Israel shall fully enter into that covenant position and share that then the full enjoyment of their heritage and, and these promises given well they don't exactly mirror the things that we've been promised but they are related what God has done for us. That you were enslaved to sin, dead in trespasses and sins. But God has delivered you from that. You have been empowered through the, and you are empowered by the resident Holy Spirit in you to live a life pleasing to God. The one you once didn't know, you can know, you do know. In that relationship with him. You are a part of his people. Not of Israel but of the church. You are of his people. Christ loved the church. And gave himself for the church. And every believer in this present dispensation is a member of that great universal church. And you have possessions and inheritance that is laid up for you that cannot be taken away there is no force that will ever take it away and god will not change his mind with regard to these things so friends you know when we think uh, about ourselves and we think that yes we have opposition oh we don't experience opposition that some face elsewhere we understand that but there is opposition And there'll probably be increasing, I'm not a prophet in that sense, but I I think there's going to be increasing opposition in, in this country. You see the tide moving, don't you? You see it moving rapidly of that. But in those times, there are promises to cheer us on the way, to give us comfort, to give us strength, that we might live how God wants us to live. And so, amidst that, after those promises... You know, God says, I'll bring you into the land. Verse 8 is sandwiched there. The promises are sandwiched again by this, I am the Lord. The end of verse 8. And so after given that, verse 9 is sad, isn't it? Moses spoke thus to the people, but they did not listen. Why not? Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery so disconsolate are they and discouraged and looking at their circumstances that they refuse to believe these marvellous promises that God has given to them. And that is sad, isn't it, when we think of the situation for them there. How they shouldn't have been like that. How they should have had that joy. How they should have rejoiced in these things that God has done and rejoiced in his faithfulness to them and the salvation that was theirs and all that was going to be for them. But instead of looking to him, they looked around, looked inside perhaps and were discouraged and discomforted. I mean, the application is now obvious, isn't it, for ourselves? It's obvious, I hope. You know, we look at, we have promises from God <coughs> great promises that he will fulfill for us yet so oftentimes we can be disconsolate and discouraged because we're not looking at them we're not concentrating on them and him and his great character but we look at ourselves we look around and that is why we can become unbelieving and so the the little section we have in here about promises end with a sign of god's grace verses 14 to 27 um one of those passages in scripture i guess when you do your daily reading you'll skip through that quite quickly Uh, or am i the only one who does that um in this list of genealogies and think what's you know what's what's in there for me you know, not that is written for me, it's written about God. But it demonstrates, so just let me say this, uh, 14 to 27, you see these genealogies. It's not complete of all the children of Israel. What you'll have noticed, it's a, it's a lineage of God's representatives demonstrating his grace. And what you have there is the first three of Jacob's sons. You'll see there's Reuben, there's Simeon, and then there's Levi. They were the first three. They were the first three sons. And the sons of Reuben and Simeon would not be the representatives who God chose. But it's from the tribe of Levi, the third one. They were actually under a curse. And God calls Moses and Aaron. But who's the one who is who is called first? It's the younger, isn't it? Not the older. We read that earlier, you know, Aaron was 83, Moses of 80. Aaron was the older one. But again, as we often see in Scripture, God chooses the younger, doesn't he? You know, that's his chooser. Nature would choose the older to be that, but God, in his elective purposes, chooses the younger one. And I think that's what we have it there uh, to bring before us the very grace of God in that. A God who has given wonderful promises to his people in a time of persecution, and now we will consider his empowering of. Moses and because of Moses his people in this third section verses 28 through to 7 13 is seen right at the start Again Moses does protest, you know, verse uh, 29. I am the Lord said to Moses. I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh king of Egypt all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, once again, behold, I am a man. I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And then this is the empowering that God says to Moses these words let's not skip over them and the Lord said to Moses see I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother shall be your prophet I have made you like God to Pharaoh from this point on in the narrative from this point on in the narrative there's a distinct change we we um, we have read constantly, or oftentimes, perhaps I should say, Moses saying, "Well, I'm not good enough. I can't go in. I can't do this." All sorts of excuses coming out. But now he is told, and we'll see a distinct change in his boldness as he goes before Pharaoh. And the Lord had selected, chosen Moses to be His representative, and given, invested in him great authority. He was going to act in God's place upon earth. That was the role Moses was going to have to do. And this most powerful man, Pharaoh, well, Moses would command him what to do, and he would punish him for his rebellion with these plagues, and Pharaoh would even have to ask Moses for the removal of the plagues. We'll see all those uh, next week. Well, we'll see nine of them next week, Lord willing. You know, Moses is going to be as God to Pharaoh. Now, the battle principally in this, through in scripture and in life for us, is between Jehovah and other false gods. The battle here is between Jehovah and the gods of Egypt. And the Lord would comprehensively demonstrate that He alone, there is only one true God who is all powerful all-wise, all-knowing. There is none like him. The whole of the Egyptian system, its people, its commerce and its religion will come under God's judgment and will be defeated. And that, I'm going to suggest to you, is a picture of what is to come from a book we've not long gone through in recent times, the book of Revelation, The defeat of Babylon, which is this whole world system. And Moses, God will act through Moses and defeat the Egyptian system. What do we see? Verse 2. You shall speak all that I command you. You shall speak all that I command you. And again, we remind ourselves... That is what God has told us to do. We often read the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, don't we, at the end? The commission of the Lord Jesus Christ to his apostles and thus to us as well as we go through. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, all that I have commanded you. And he gives us the great promise, he gives the great empowerment. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The end of the age has not happened yet. But Christ has given that great promise, I am with you till those times. Go out, do this as God enables you, as God entrusts you with different responsibilities and have that great promise from Christ, that empowerment that comes from the indwelling Holy Spirit, I am with you. Yes, we are weak in ourselves, but with Christ the spirit of christ in us we can do all things you know think of paul to the ephesian elders as he, as he gathered them on Miletus as, as the last time he was going to see them you might remember that occasion and he says to him i did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of god not just the bits which would be popular the bits would be palatable i declared to you the whole counsel of god the truth about him and so the words given there to God, by God, pardon me, to Moses, go and speak all that I command you. Well, verse 3, again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. You know, the book of Romans gives us a good commentary on this. It's Romans chapter 9, verse 17 to 18. Uh, quote, you know, quoting from these passages in Scripture, the Scripture says to Pharaoh, "For this very purpose, I have raised you up. Why was Pharaoh raised up? That I might show God says this that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth." You know, God raised Pharaoh up for a purpose. And Romans goes on. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills Pharaoh was brought for that purpose for that where well, we see the hardness of Pharaoh's heart and the continual hardness exalts the power of God and the deliverance and the salvation of God and the justice of God well we see a miracle staff thrown down by Aaron and what happens turns into a serpent verse 11 the wise men and the sorcerers do the same they do the same Satan's able to do great wonders and miracles every miracle that is seen is not done through those who are godly he can perform all sorts of counterfeit miracles signs and wonders however what do we see end of verse 12 Aaron's staff swallowed up their stars there's a picture there isn't there just of how God's power superior power will prevail well of course the court of Egypt should have sort of realised then the lesson shouldn't they they should have realised then the lesson you know there it was Aaron or Moses' staff gobbling up, swallowing up all that. You know, There is one true God and his power is there evident. But of course, our hearts are hardened. And that's what we see at the end of 13 again. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord has said. You know, the proverb says that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So thought, a persecution of God's people. In the midst of opposition and persecution, God gives great promises to his people. And the promises will be fulfilled exactly how he intends them, when he intends them to be filled. In his time, in his way. And he is the powerful one who can empower his people to trust in his word, and to live in times of opposition. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Father, we just bow before you tonight. We give thanks indeed for your goodness, your grace to us. Father, we think how your word says, you will have mercy on who you will have mercy, you will harden whom you will. We thank you, our God, that in your grace you have shown mercy to us. You have revealed Christ to us. You have revealed yourself to us. We have understand such a great salvation. Truly, our God, help us to learn the lessons that we should from your word tonight. Help us to understand what happened to a people those thousands of years ago. Historical events upon this earth, but how much they might teach us as well. So, God, we just pray that you would continue by the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to us all here tonight